All right, hello, welcome back to Unqualified Analysis, the show that is, uh, you know what, very tired, <laughs> very, I mean, incredibly tired today. I have, uh, I've been sleeping like real bad over the last couple nights, so going into this off day tomorrow, your boy is about to sleep uh, better than a child, actually, because I'm not going to be waking up crying in the middle of the night with poop in my pants. I'm going to be, you know, sleeping through the entire night. Uh, your boy needs it. That's all I'm going to say. Your boy needs it. But with that said, we're wiping all that to the side. I just pounded a cup of coffee. So you know what? Energy levels are low, but they're going to get through to the other side of this episode before I inevitably crash at some point tonight. So with that said, we've got a Super Bowl analysis for you guys a preview of the game going into the game this upcoming Sunday uh it may be the highest rated Super Bowl of all time I mean T Swift just announced a uh, a new album coming out in April uh, I'm sure uh there's going to be a lot of a lot of Taylor Swift fans watching unrelated to that but hey it was some news from last night Tracy Kit Chapman Luke Combs sang Fast Car that's that's cool um trust free But a lot of other people do, so you know I'm, you know, making brief mention of it. That's cool. Grammys, <laughs> awards, popular music, uh, films, even are Grammys films. I don't think Grammys are films actually, but the, yeah, awards, ceremonies for awards, people walking red carpets. That's uh, that's really not what we're talking about today. And I really can't. I don't have a whole lot of time to. Uh, uh, putts around here at the top of the episode because we got a, I mean, a loaded one for you. I mean, we had a whole bunch of coaching headlines over the course of the last week or so uh, in NFL. Got some real big stuff happening in college right now that you might have heard of over the last uh, week or so. And it just got a little bit more interesting a couple minutes ago as I'm recording this uh, as a, a big... Uh, a big labor relations board decision just came down for NCAA stuff. So uh, all that is to say, we got a loaded, loaded episode. And in the interest of keeping this thing under an hour and a half, I have got to get into the game right now. So uh, yeah, out of coffee right now, which is, it's unfortunate. I, I probably should have made another cup of coffee before I started recording, but made my bed. Might as well sleep in it now. Uh, let's get into the game first and foremost. Um, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Headlines to end off this thing, but the game to start. All right. So into the big game, the Super Bowl, if you will. Sue me if you want. I don't make a goddamn thing off this, uh, this show. So have fun getting that zero dollars from me. I'm sure that'll be a big time worth it. Uh, but yeah, the Super Bowl. Uh, we have got ourselves a Danny Eva matchup here, folks. You already know what it is. It's the 49ers. It's the Chiefs. It is in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, the 49ers are very unhappy with their uh, with their accommodations practice-wise at UNLV right now from, from what I'm hearing uh, over on the, the shows and whatnot. Uh, seems like uh, the information would say that the NFL laid down sod there just last week. Don't know how it took them. I mean, UNLV hasn't been playing for... I mean, months at this point, you could have absolutely gotten in there and uh, replaced that side a, a long time ago. But last week, sure, right before the guys get there. So uh, there are complaints of uh, slits on the field, um, the practice surface really not being up to snuff in, in the eyes of a lot of players and coaches out there. Uh, so that's going on. 
could, could be interesting to see how or if that affects the uh, the game itself. We're going to be maybe looking at some unique sort of practice schedules coming up this week uh, related to that. Might be sharing practice facilities that the Chiefs are in the um, Chiefs are in the Raiders practice facility this week. Uh, and uh, seems like the 49ers might be coming in, buttoning for some practice time of their own. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I, it, it doesn't help the conspiracy fodder, though, that the, uh, the, the Golden Boys, the Chiefs, are in the better practice facility and the 49ers are out of college. Um, if you're trying to tamp down conspiracy theories and whatnot about, you know, fixing games, not the best way to do it, but, hey, NFL, do what you got to do, I suppose. That's neither here nor there. The game itself... Let's start by previewing the line a little bit. Uh, 49ers are I mean, minus two. It's all the way up to two and a half uh, over on FanDuel right now. So we'll see. We'll see. It's probably going to stay that way until kickoff. Uh, you can, Yeah, you can get a two and a half over a FanDuel if you're looking to bet on the Chiefs, which I feel a lot of people are going to end up doing. Uh, but it, I don't think this is right. DraftKings, it says DraftKings has like an, um, a point and a half favorite for the 49ers. I doubt that's true because right underneath it, it says DraftKings is plus two. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense if that were the case. So I'm guessing plus two, uh, two and a half if, if you're looking to bet on the Chiefs. Uh, this is an interesting one, though. Very, very interesting matchup. Uh, Over-unders 47 and a half. Hey, your guess is as good as mine on that one. I could really see it going either way. I could see this being a high-scoring affair because the 49ers defense does have some flaws in it, which we'll get to here in just a second. Uh, I could also see this thing being an absolute rock fight with both of the uh, the defenses kind of controlling this game. So, yeah, really both the spread and the over-under I am staying the hell away from, quite frankly. I don't have a good read on either of those I think this is a pretty even matchup here. I could really see this thing going either way. Obviously, uh, I'm a genius and picked this matchup uh, right off the top. Oh, way back in May, a whole nine months ago, uh, I'm sure a baby was conceived, and I also predicted that the 49ers and the Chiefs would end up in the 2024 Super Bowl. And lo and behold, I'm a genius. Don't go back and look at all those other predictions. They're they're, they're not important at this point in time. What is important is that I predicted 49ers Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and I predicted the 49ers to win. So if I want to continue looking like a genius here, um, it would behoove me for the 49ers to win, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. So I guess just based on my heart, I'm going to pick the 49ers, uh, go down with the ship, I suppose. Uh, but this is a, uh, a far from cut and dry matchup, and let's get into it uh, just to just to hammer down that point. And we'll start with the 49ers offense versus the uh, uh, the Chiefs defense. Uh, it feels like this is going to be one of the tougher matchups that the 49ers have faced in the entire playoffs thus far. I mean, they go from um, they they face the Packers in the divisional round, which. Joe Barry's defense. I mean, there's a reason why they replaced him. Not the uh, not the most difficult matchup in the world. Uh, got some good players in the secondary, but nothing like they're going to face against the Chiefs. And then they went into uh, the uh, Detroit Lions, who you saw how they collapsed down the stretch. They haven't really been challenged so far this postseason secondary wise. The Chiefs are by far the best defense that the 49ers have faced. Uh, I'm talking front seven, back end. Both of them are uh, are. My, not maybe not miles ahead. That's a little bit disrespectful to the people they played, but ahead of where the uh, the Packers or the Lions are, for that matter, right now on the defensive side of the ball. Um, 
So yeah, really it comes down, I mean, as always with the 49ers, they're a run first sort of football team. It's going to come down to what that front seven does uh, versus the 49ers. And the Chiefs haven't really been that proficient at stopping the ball, even though the, the Ravens inexplicably decided to do so in this past uh, game. They decided to get away from it, rather, in this past game. They were going five yards a clip when they decided to run in that last game. The Chiefs have been a team that you can run on, uh, so it's really going to come down to can Trent Williams, can that offensive line open up some holes, and obviously, we know Christian McCaffrey is Christian McCaffrey. You give him a an inch of daylight, he'll take, he can take you for 40 yards right in a heartbeat, uh, so... I think for the 49ers, it always comes down to how that running game does and um, how will Legereus Sneed end up covering? I assume it's going to be largely on Brandon Ayuk. I mean, Debo Samuel is a guy that you, you know, you have to account for, but I think Ayuk is a better pure receiver. So I would imagine that uh, Legereus Sneed's probably going to end up being on Brandon Ayuk. Um, how does Debo Samuel impact the game, though? I think he's the big X factor as well for the 49ers on that side of the ball. Um, ultimately, I think you'll end up kind of canceling each other out. I think you'll have a couple big plays from Brock Purdy. Uh, Debo Samuel will shake off like two or three defenders, run for like 20 yards uh, one or two times in this game. Um, but ultimately, it's going to come down to can the 49ers run on this Kansas City Chiefs defense, and I think they can. I think really outside of, uh, uh, outside of Chris Jones, I'm not sure what the status of Willie Gay is. I want to say he's out for this game as well. Uh, but Nick Bolton, Drew Tranquil, both undersized guys. Um, 49ers uh, like to run some power. It's been a lot of the, the Shanahan zone running scheme, but have run some power here uh, over the course of this playoff run. But two undersized linebackers, something that they could uh, take advantage of in the end here. Uh, on the Chiefs side of things, obviously stop the run if you can, but uh, try to get pressure on... on um, on Brock Purdy here, uh, Legereus Sneed, one of the most physical corners in the entire league. I think it would, you know, behoove them for Legereus Sneed to be that physical presence. And obviously shutting down Brandon Ayuk would be huge in this game. Um, on the back end, Justin Reed is going to have his hands full with George Kittle, man. He's going to have to win in that matchup. or Otherwise, we're going to be seeing seam shots down the field uh, from Brock Purdy to George Kittle in this game. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this thing turns out. I, at the end of the day, I do think this uh, this matchup, if you will, it's going to hinge on whether or not the 49ers can run the ball consistently, and I do think that they will be able to. So once that run game opens up, uh, really the entire 49ers playbook opens up. You do have to take into account uh, Kyle Shanahan just doing weird things sometimes in, uh, in games of this magnitude, but... That notwithstanding, I think the 49ers have a good chance to move the ball on this Chiefs defense. Uh, that 49ers second, not the 49ers secondary, uh, the Chiefs secondary is just going to have to create some turnovers, I think. Create some turnovers, get some pressure on uh, on Brock Purdy, probably try to keep him contained. He had a couple of those breakaway uh, runs this past week that just kill you on offense in that matchup. And uh, let's switch this thing around. Chiefs offense versus the 49ers defense. Um, this 49ers running defense has been very vulnerable. I mean, very, very vulnerable. They've been run on all, all postseason. I mean, the, the Lions in the NFC Championship had an absolute field day in the first half versus, versus this 49ers front seven, just running straight at them. I mean, Montgomery was just running wild on you, brother. And it's really one of those things where 
I think it works in the Chiefs' favor because you look at how the the the, the running game kind of shook out for the Lions in the last week. Uh, the speed guy, Jameer Gibbs, didn't have the greatest day in the world. I would know because I bet on him and lost money, neither here nor there. Um, the guy that did have a big-time performance, though, was uh, David Montgomery. That kind of uh, physical run-straight-at-you style doesn't seem like a style that the 49ers necessarily want to play in a running back. Uh, lo and behold, Isaiah Pacheco runs like, I mean, the angriest person alive, like you stole his money and he is looking to exact revenge on you. Well, really, he's, you stole his money. He came to you to get that money back and you've already spent it on, on groceries or whatnot or, or I don't know, any sort of thing you spend money on. So he just wants to exact physical revenge upon you. Physically, just beat the hell out of you. That is the way that Isaiah Pacheco runs. And for that reason, I am so confident that Isaiah Pacheco is going to have a huge game in this one. Um, and not advice, not betting advice, boys and girls bet responsibly. I have, however, placed the largest bet I have made this season on Isaiah Pacheco uh, to go over 67 and a half rushing yards. And in fact, that is my one bet in this game. I'm not picking either side officially. I'm not... Uh, I'm not putting that on the gambling record. I'm not placing any money on the spread or the over-under. But Isaiah Pacheco's uh, rushing prop, 67.5, I think he's going to be pushing 100 yards. I have put the largest bet I have made this season on Isaiah Pacheco. Let us ride, ladies and gentlemen. That's how, that's how, that's how um, strong I feel about him in this game. I think he is in for a really, really good one. Um... The 49ers secondary isn't quite as vulnerable as uh, as you know some teams that the Chiefs have faced in the past, or not quite as vulnerable as the as the 49ers front seven really even. Uh, but when you got Patrick Mahomes, anything is possible. I I think that they're going to have a tough time matching up with uh, with Travis Kelsey. Um, I, well, I say that, but Fred Warner is already is still out there, and he is the best coverage linebacker in the entire NFL. So that might end up being a moot point. They may have to lean on the running game. And in fact, with the decided advantage, I say that the, the Chiefs have with the the offensive line with Isaiah Pacheco and his style of running, I think it would behoove them to. I mean, if they can pass 40 or less times or less than 40 times and run the hell out of the ball. I mean, unless you're behind and you really need to, uh, you know, give Patrick Mahomes the ball and say, hey, go win us one. I feel like running the ball is going to be the the path, path to success for both of these teams, which would make me lean the under. You know, when you get into those big time rushing sorts of games, uh, doesn't necessarily lend to a whole lot of scoring in a lot of situations unless you're in like the UCF uh, glorified option offense down there. Uh, you know, no disrespect to UCF, but uh, they know what it is. They they understand what it is. Not really an NFL offense. But that that being said, yeah, in in the NFL when you got two teams running at each other, uh, it lends itself to uh, to under football. I think this is going to be a a tough physical matchup where you're going to have some big plays here and there, but mostly I think this thing's going to be centered around the running game. I think it's going to be a close matchup. I think it's going to be a good one. And ultimately, uh, my heart and my ego is picking the 49ers. I don't have a great read on this game overall. I think it's a fairly even matchup uh, when it's all said and done. Will we be seeing the first championship for Brock Purdy and Kyle Shanahan? Will we be seeing the third championship for the Kansas City Chiefs in the last six seasons? 
Uh, we're going to find out, folks. We're going to find out. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, my pick is the 49ers. I think they win this championship. Uh, I'm not putting any money on that, like I said. But keep in mind. Isaiah Pacheco, over 67 and a half rushing yards. We're cheering for that because your boy can win some good money uh, if that does, in fact, happen. There's the Super Bowl for you right there. Only only one game to uh, go in and analyze. So, yeah, that's a quick 15 right there. Uh, with that said, let's, uh, let's pull up some headlines, shall we? Uh, first and foremost, there were a couple things that I missed last week. Uh, first and foremost, I, well, I... I totally just said that there was going to be some, some you know, uh, suggestion box type of stuff from me about what CBS should do, some uh, some announcer controversy, and then I just never got to it. Um, here's what I should have said. Um, I think CBS should throw a bag at Greg Olson to get him next to Jim Nance, and I have, I, I, do, I don't give half a shit what happens to Tony Romo, man. I'm so over Tony Romo. He is bad. He's not very good. By far the the worst color commentator they've gotten the uh, the top booths. Uh, get Greg Olson. He's about to be kicked out of the number one spot on Fox by uh, Tom Brady. So perfect opportunity to swoop in, uh, make the hard decision that maybe burns a bridge, uh, but puts you in the right direction broadcasting wise. I think Greg Olson is a light years better announcer than what Tony Romo is. Go throw a bag at him. Get him next to Jim Nance. Both of those guys deserve it. I think Jim is fucking fed up with Tony Romo right now. Uh, Brandon Ayuk catch. I mean, don't know how I didn't hit this one when, when talking about the NFC Championship game. Brock Purdy throws an interception, bounces off a, uh, a Lions defender's hands, I believe. Either hands or helmet. Either way, something embarrassing. Into Brandon Ayuk's hands. Brandon Ayuk goes down right to the goal line. Uh, they score a touchdown on that possession. That's just... Whew, classic football. Classic football right there. Uh, also, talked about Dave Canales getting hired by the Carolina Panthers last week. Uh, forgot to mention the little fact and uh, heard a little bit more about this as the week went on. Dave Canales wrote a book with his wife, basically just detailing all the times that he cheated on her and how their marriage survived. Um... I'm sure everyone is going to be mature professionals in that locker room, and not a, not one person will be making jokes about that at any point, especially if the team starts losing. I'm sure everyone will be totally mature and uh, won't talk about uh, the one time that their, their head coach went and slept with seven women at his bachelor party uh, the night before the wedding. Didn't actually happen, but he did say, I believe that the first time he was unfaithful to his wife was his bachelor party, so wild. Wild stuff. I hope for the best for Dave, man. I I hope it all goes well. I again, I I love Bryce Young. I think he's a good kid. So, yeah, for his sake, I hope this all works out. Uh, but after that, it's pretty much all I missed last week. Let's keep her moving into the headlines this week because, like I said, we got a lot, a lot to get to. Uh, first and foremost, let's hit the NCAA stuff because this is kind of getting a little major, a little fast here. Uh, at, first off. This, this popped up at the end of last week after the NCAA leaks that san sanctions are possibly coming for Tennessee. Is that they're under investigation for level one, level two violations after the, uh, uh, the, the, the hundred stacks in, in the McDonald's bag thing with Jeremy Pruitt, all that stuff happened. Um, uh, the SEC and Big Ten are forming an advisory committee to quote, look at the entire college sports landscape and solutions within it. So definitely not an alliance. Don't call it an alliance here, folks. That's 
That's not what it is, okay? It's just an advisory committee uh, looking at the entire college sports landscape and solutions within it. And you can either take our, our solutions or you can uh, go fuck yourself, pretty much, is uh, what's happening here. The NCAA is maybe not in their death throes, but whether they realize it or not, the uh, the noose is being tightened around their necks right now. Um, this is the beginning of the end for them as far as governance of revenue sports like college football in particular, probably college basketball as well. Really, they could have avoided this whole thing if they just gave a little bit uh, back about a decade ago when there was a little bit of this uh, this this bubbling up of should players get paid or not. They stayed staunchly in their stance because they thought they would never have to change. Didn't give an inch. And uh, like those crackers, like those like those graham crackers, they don't give an inch at all until the moment that they just snap in half. And uh, at some point, they're you know, we're applying pressure to the graham cracker. It's already kind of crumbled a little bit. It's cracked uh, in the middle there with the NIL stuff going on. The constantly moving goalposts, uh, the the rules that change every other day, and universities are expected to know every inch of the rule book, no matter what, even if they're arbitrary in nature and just seem like random dots putting down on the map uh, as to where you have to aim to stay within compliance. Um, they are on the verge of snapping right now. And uh, this advisory committee is just the beginning. It's the two most powerful conferences in all of college sports right now. Certainly the best conferences in college football, which really um, dictates the direction of all of college sports. If college basketball really had a seat at the table, the Big East would still be a thing, if we're being honest here. And everyone knows that to be a fact, quite frankly. So, College football is what steers this thing in uh, the two biggest college football conferences, the best college football conferences in all the land. Uh, the Power Two, as I think we're going to be calling them from now on, have essentially decided to um, not form a government body. But if you look at it and you look at the state and purpose without knowing what they're terming it as, it kind of looks like a government body, doesn't it? And uh, that th this spells the end for the NCAA. And to make matters worse, in the wake of that story, this coming down the pipe just today, Monday as I record this, uh, early in the evening, uh, the National Labor Relations Board uh, ruled to consider Dartmouth basketball players as employees and uh, that's huge, folks. That essentially sets the legal precedent for all college athletics uh, at this point. And I'm not sure if it's an actual case. Um, it's definitely something that the NCAA is going to take to court because, you know, that's they're probably going to fight this tooth and nail until the very end. But assuming that this holds up and sets the precedent across college sports that, hey, if if Dartmouth basketball players can be considered employees, how about the sports where... I mean, look at SEC football players. All of them are already making NIL salaries, pretty much. Uh, they're all already getting paid. They, they basically work a full-time job in the facility. If Dartmouth basketball players are considered employees, basically every other revenue-generating sport is considered an employee at this point. They're not amateur athletes anymore. They are employees, and employees get a salary from the place they're employed at, they get benefits and the right to unionize. And that's specifically that, that ruling there by the Labor Relations Board was kind of specifically uh, geared at, okay, now these Dartmouth basketball players can unionize if they want to. 
wide-reaching implications across the college sports landscape. And that in conjunction with the advisory committee, the NCAA is crumbling as we speak right now. Crumbling as we speak. There might be new uh, information on this. I mean, by the time that this, this podcast comes out, really throughout the course of the next week or so, we could be seeing some dominoes fall in rapid succession. It feels like I don't know what it's going to look like next up, what the structure is going to look like. Changes are on the horizon uh, for the NCAA and college athletics as a whole, and it's probably a good thing, quite frankly. If we can if we can make these commitments, at the very least, freshman, sophomore year commitments, and then you can reevaluate if you want to enter the transfer portal after junior year, obviously um, give each kid that's on the football team like a forty to fifty thousand dollars stipend a year, livable wage, certainly affordable to live within a college town and have a little fun on the side, which is all you really need for most of these guys. Then, then let NIL be the separator as far as the upper end of the salary spectrum is concerned. Um, and I, by the way, I said this basically even before that the NIL became a thing and even before the transfer portal became a thing, I was just a wee lad in college uh, tweeting that, hey, you know what the NCAA should do is just provide these kids a livable stipend and then let NIL be the separator on salaries. And lo and behold, it looks like they're going towards that model. Who would have thought? Who who would have possibly thought that that could be a, uh, a resolution to all this? But that is, yeah, the, the real problem is the, is the transfer portal and the ease with which guys can jump from place to place to place. Unless they're on a one-year contract, they can kind of structure like the NFL. But I think the... I think the baseline for guys coming in out of high school should be a two-year commitment and then reevaluate after that two years. Uh, the way it is right now where guys can just jump from place to place to place, not sustainable, not sustainable at all. So I think there are going to be some good changes on the horizon, probably some tough decisions as far as non-revenue sports are concerned. But uh, yeah, big stuff happening with the NCAA right now. We are on. We are in a crazy, crazy time uh, to be a college football fan. Also, coming across my phone at this very moment, uh, the Giants have hired former Titan, have hired, I think I said hired, uh, former Titans defensive coordinator Shane Bowen to be their new defensive coordinator per sources. That, according to Diana Russini. Um, and the Titans had a really good defense this last year. I believe I believe he was the one calling the defense. I, I can't remember if, if Mike Vrabel called defense or if he was just very heavily involved in the game plan. But, uh, yeah, Shane Bowen did a good job with the Tennessee Titans this last year. So, seemingly good pickup by the Giants. We'll see if Brian Dayball can play nice in the sandbox. He hasn't really shown to do that uh, as of yet. So, with that, whew! Dramatic stuff going on right now, and it's, a, it's just as dramatic in the NFL. Uh, this happened not too long after I posted the last episode. In a shocking twist, the Lions offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, withdrew his name from consideration for the remaining head coaching open, openings. He will be back in Detroit next year. Uh, reportedly, his asking price uh, spooked some teams, $50 million a year, uh, according to Shefty. What an absolute coup for the Lions, though, man. They ended up, at the end of this thing, both their coordinators get uh, interviews across the league for head coaching jobs. 
Uh, ben Johnson withdraws his name. Aaron Glenn doesn't make the cut for the other one. So both coordinators are back. Um, this is huge for the Lions. I think this this really gears them up for a Super Bowl run next year. Load up on defensive talent. Uh, continue to build through the draft on the offensive side of the ball. Um, the Lions are in a good position. They just won 12 games this past season. Like Dan Campbell said, it's not going to be easy. Um, it, they might never get back there again. But with what they've got coming back this year, 2024 is the year to make a run if you are the Lions. And they got their uh, they got their offensive coordinator back. And then there's some weird shot taking like Ben Johnson saying that uh, the Commanders' new ownership is bas- basketball guys wasn't sure about it. Uh, commanders firing back through media back channels saying that um, uh, Ben Johnson did an interview well. Doesn't look great for either party involved right now, especially with Ben Johnson letting the 49ers, not the 49ers, no, the Commanders know while they're in the air, in the plane, on the way to interview Ben Johnson, uh, that he was withdrawing his name from consideration. Uh, just a little bit of a messy situation there, but ultimately... With Johnson out, the Commanders hired former Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator and former Falcons head coach Dan Quinn to be their next head coach. If nothing else, it'll it'll be a good culture over there. I think he's got good vibes. Comes from the Pete Carroll coaching tree of, of good vibes and high energy. So he'll have that going on. Certainly a change of pace from what they got from Ron Rivera over the last uh, several years. Uh, that being said... I'm not exactly sold on this. Really, it, it's kind of my the bug that I bugaboo that I had with uh, with with Brandon Staley. Right when you get hired for being a quote unquote guru at your side of the ball, um, like you know Brandon Staley, defensive coordinator, and Aaron Donald and uh, Jalen Ramsey, merchant as some may call him, with the L.A. Rams, the number one defense before he was hired by the Chargers, goes to the Chargers and never ever once has anything resembling even close to a good defense. Uh, when he was in L.A., kind of a similar story with Dan Quinn over there uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. When he was with Atlanta, I mean, he had like one good defensive year um, with that team. Otherwise, they were like 20s or worse. Um, really, the being able to hire a coordinator on the offensive side like Kyle Shanahan, I mean, kept Dan Quinn around for probably longer than he, he really deserved over there with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, we'll see. Maybe he's learned some new stuff. Maybe he's... Um, Decided to get, delegate play calling duties, uh, become more of a, a CEO. Uh, we'll see about all that. I don't know. I'm less than sold on it, but I mean, it's seemingly Bobby Slowick pulled out, Ben Johnson pulled out, uh, and they were left kind of uh, alone at the ball to end things. Mike McDonald got hired by the Seahawks, who we'll talk about here in, in just a second. Um, so. Yeah, we'll talk about uh, even more of the staff moves here as we go along. But yes, Dan Quinn, the new head coach of the Washington Commies. Good luck. Good luck to you. Uh, Like I said, the Seahawks are hiring Mike McDonald to be their next head coach. McDonald will officially be the youngest head coach in the league. And of course, Mina Kimes rejoices. This is the one that uh, she famously uh, wanted for the longest time. And she's a very smart football person. I think this is a... A, maybe not slam dunk hire, a really, really good hire for what the Seahawks are looking for right now. Pete Carroll, a um, seemingly, well, kind of a defensive guy whenever he came in from USC, really more of a culture setter than anything else. Uh, Mike McDonald, well, really hadn't been getting it done over the last couple of years, so Mike McDonald comes in after having, I mean, really put together one of the more creative defenses in the entire league, and not just that, 
a creative defense that just wreaked havoc on the uh, on his opponents on on the opponents in the the NFC West this year in particular. They beat the 49ers, really swept the NFC West actually. Beat the 49ers, beat the Seahawks, beat the Cardinals. All three of those destinations uh, his defense dominated, quite frankly. I mean, especially against the 49ers, one of the more impressive uh, defensive performances of the year, creating all of those turnovers. Um, they got some good talent on the defensive side. Probably still got to reload a little bit uh, as far as the, the front seven is concerned there. But Mike McDonald will be able to scheme up, scheme up some things for you. And as long as he hires the right offensive coordinator, which we'll, you know, we'll talk about here in just a second, looks like he's zeroing in on, on Ryan Grubb, which would be the most hilarious thing to happen after he literally just moved out of Seattle to go to Alabama uh, like a month and a half ago. Um, as of right now, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think Mike McDonald's hired anyone on his staff thus far, uh, but good hire by the Seattle Seahawks, in my opinion. Um, just got to nail these coordinator hires now, so we'll see how it goes from here. Uh, the Ravens, after Mike McDonald had left to take the Seahawks job, promoted inside linebackers coach and former Ravens linebacker Zach Orr uh, to be the next defensive coordinator. Orr is just 31 years old. Uh, I have zero doubt that Harbaugh got the right guy. He, I mean, you can go all the way back to the very beginning of his regime, uh, whenever Rex Ryan was there, quite frankly. John Harbaugh doesn't miss on uh, on defensive coordinator hires pretty much. He is pretty universally hits the nail on the head every single time. And, of course, the front office blesses him with, with good personnel to help him out. But, I mean, seemingly every single defensive coordinator that he's brought in from, I mean, Wink Martindale to Mike McDonald this past time to even going back before that, um, absolutely nailed all of these hires. So I have zero doubt that Zach Orr is going to turn into a star uh, with the Baltimore Ravens. No no question in my mind. Um, the Steelers, moving right down the list here, the Steelers are hiring former Falcons head coach Arthur Smith to be their next offensive coordinator. I am hearing a little bit of a mixed bag here. I think people that uh, know ball and watched him back when he was with Tennessee are feeling good about this hire. I think there are a lot of other people that are looking at what he did with the Falcons uh, and how bad that offense really was this past season and saying, I don't know if I really want Arthur Smith right now. He unquestionably failed as a head coach, all right. But me personally, I really like this pickup by the Steelers, especially considering Tomlin's desire to have a great running game. And uh, to those who are saying star weapons can't consistently thrive under Arthur Smith as offensive coordinator, you know, we saw this last season, Bijan Robinson been up and down, Kyle Pitts had his struggles in Arthur Smith's offense, Drake London inconsistent. Just go back and take a look at A.J. Brown's first two years in the league when Arthur Smith was O.C. Let me let me pull this up right now. Um, it is reading off the stats here. In 2019, his rookie year, um, A.J. Brown had a career-high four yards per catch at 20.2 yards per catch, caught eight, caught 52 balls, uh, 1,051 yards, and eight touchdowns. Second year, breakout year, 70 receptions, 1,075 yards, 15.4 yards per catch, 11 touchdowns, that in just 14 games. And that was the only two years that uh, he was the offensive coordinator with AJ Brown in Tennessee, uh, that was that that was what Arthur Smith did, and of course he got the very best years out of um, 
out of out of Ryan Tannehill really hasn't been the same since Arthur Smith went over to the Falcons, quite frankly. So I it's gonna get some some flack from people. I think it's a lot harder to call plays and be the offensive coordinator, well, and be the head coach rather, uh, than it is to just focus on the offensive game plan and call plays. I think this is a really, really damn good hire uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Only time will tell, though. Only time will tell. Um, the Panthers have hired Bucks wide receiver coach Brad Idzik as their offensive coordinator. Don't know much about him, um, and I also still don't know if Dave Canales will be calling the plays. That is my assumption, though. So. Uh, going to be like a, a Brian Callahan situation there with the Bengals where he's the offensive coordinator, uh, but does he call plays? No, he's really just more about the game plan. Uh, he's Dave Canales' guy, though, so it's a it's a marked change from what happened in the previous regime where David Tepper meddled like a motherfucker in the hiring process of the coordinators and all that sort of stuff. This time, not the case. Not the case at all, so Dave Canales bringing his guy with him. Also, Dave Canales will retain defensive coordinator Ajiro Averro. Uh, big move for his staff, especially as a young offensive coach. Averro, really respected defensive coordinator. I don't think was the big reason for why they were losing all those games last year. Having Ajiro Averro back um, to kind of just delegate and take care of that defensive side of the ball so that Dave Canales and uh, Brad Idzik can focus on the offense. I think it's going to be a good thing for the Carolina Panthers. So huge thing, huge thing for Ajiro Rivero to come back uh, to the Panthers and be retained by Dave Canales' staff. Uh, and there you go. The staff is filled out for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, the Bills elevated linebackers coach Bobby Babich. Uh, what already one of the more fun names in all the NFL. Bobby Babich uh, is the new DC for the Bills. I assume he will call the defense next year, but we will see. Sean McDermott called it last season, and uh, really that was kind of out of necessity because it kind of came out of nowhere that Leslie Leslie Frazier was being, um, well, not being fired. He kind of retired. Maybe he was asked to leave. Who's to say? Uh, Sean McDermott was the defensive coordinator last season. He'll hand over the reins to Bobby Badget, Babich, I would assume, uh, this upcoming year. Excuse me, sorry, getting a little scratch in my throat. I've been talking for a while here. Uh, Bobby Slowick, as I mentioned before, will remain in Houston for the 2024 season after he agreed to a new deal and a pay raise with the Texans. Also, QB coach Gerard Johnson will be staying with the team for another year after being a hot, hot, hot candidate for the uh, offensive coordinator market. Uh, we'll stay with them for another season. And if Slowick leaves the next offseason, seems like an easy, easy uh, sort of thing for the Texans to kind of promote from within and uh, get Gerard Johnson in there in the offensive coordinator role. Uh, big offseason for the Texans coming up, man. They got all sorts of cap space. Uh, they have started the clock where uh, they've got C.J. Stroud playing very, very well like a top 10 quarterback on a rookie deal. Now is the time to push all your chips to the center of the table. All that cap space. Uh, good draft picks this upcoming year. It's time to capitalize, boys. It's time to go hard on the defensive side of the ball, personnel-wise. It's time to get a number one wide receiver in the, uh, ooh, excuse me, in in free agency. Hit on your draft picks. I think the Texans could be a real dark horse uh, candidate to come out of the AFC and make a Super Bowl run this next year. They got two years right now. This year, this upcoming year, and the following year before they have to pay C.J. Stroud a massive contract. In that time, 
all the chips must be in the center of the table, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what the uh, what the Texans do this offseason. Like I said, it's going to be a big one for them. Um, <clears throat> the Packers filled their open defensive coordinator uh, position. And you're going to start to see a theme here. Uh, the Packers are hiring uh, Boston College head coach, head coach Jeff Halfley as their new defensive coordinator. An out-of-the-box hire, but it, that uh, that fits the Packers' M.O. Um, by the numbers, Boston College hasn't been fantastic defensively since, uh, uh, s- since Jeff Halfley got there. He was co-defensive coordinator on like a top five defense with the Ohio State Buckeyes, though, before he became uh, the head coach at Boston College. And it's hard to recruit at Boston College, especially in this new uh, era with the transfer portal and all that, though. So, yeah, we'll see. I I feel like the Packers have been, I mean, defensive coordinator has been such a hit and miss proposition for them. It's it's been uh, a tough time hiring for a while, but an outside of the box hire when they just came off of Joe Barry is not necessarily... A, the worst thing in the world. Uh, we'll see. But Packers have a new defensive coordinator right now, and he's got a um, a treasure trove of talent to work with right now. All sorts of first-round talent up and down that uh, defensive roster. Let's see what Jeff Halfley does with it this upcoming season. A move they absolutely had to make uh, if they wanted to, if the Packers wanted to compete in this upcoming year in the NFC North, because it is it's a loaded division, folks. It is a loaded division. Uh, Titans hired Ravens defensive backs coach Denard Wilson to be their defensive coordinator on Brian Callahan's staff. Wilson was a hot uh, name in the D.C. market, uh, and Callahan is bringing in Jags passing coordinator Nick Holes as offensive coordinator. Also will be bringing his father, Bill Callahan, in to coach the offensive line, which is a damn good hire as well. One of the best offensive line coaches in the league. So with that, Brian Callahan filled out his staff and Hey man, you got a defensive coordinator candidate that you're very familiar with with the Ravens. That was a, ha- a hot commodity, and you seem to understand why. Uh, so got that on the defensive side. Um, yet to be seen with uh, with Nick Holes, um, but you bring in your father. Hopefully, you have a good offensive line as a result. Bill Callahan. I think Brian Callahan filled out a hell of a staff here with with what he's done so far. So I really like this uh, this staff he put together with the Titans. It's a high bar to, to clear to be better than Mike Vrabel uh, that was this past season or any season before that, and you got some serious roster issues, but all things considered, the Titans are a loser organization, but Brian Callahan seemingly put together a good staff, so I, uh, I'm interested to see what the Titans do. I think it's all, I mean, Rand Carthon, the ball is in your court. You have got to put some talent on this team via the draft, via free agency. You have just got to get the ball rolling uh, this offseason. Uh, like I said, balls in your court, Rand Carthon, our favorite uh, Star Wars smuggler in the Star Wars universe. Um, Patriots hired Alex Van Pelt as their new offensive coordinator under Gerard Mayo. Uh, Van Pelt just got fired by the Browns following their playoff loss. So we'll see how it goes. He was never a, a play caller with the Browns, so... Might have just been a scapegoat sort of situation. I don't know. Uh, kind of like the Raiders we're going to talk about here in just a second. When you hire a guy that just got fired from their previous location, it's uh, it's a tough look. It's a tough look. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. I think Gerard Mayo put together a good a a good um ah sorry good defensive staff. Offensively, we'll see how it works out. We'll we'll see how it works out here, especially with a new quarterback, presumably, presumably 
coming in this season. I'm sorry, I'm doing just disgusting stuff right now. I, I apologize. Uh, the Rams are promoting pass rush coordinator and linebackers coach Chris Shula to defensive coordinator. Yup, that's exactly the kind of Shula you're thinking of. Uh, he is from that Shula bloodline. He's the grandson of leg legendary coach and all-time great uh, Don Shula. Um, I believe Don Shula was a offensive guy. So, hey, we'll see how it goes. I know literally nothing about Chris Shula uh, other than he worked his way from the bottom up. So, hey, good, good for him. Hopefully it works out for him. Um, it certainly helps when you got Aaron Donald in the middle there. So, uh, we'll see. Grandson of Don Shula, though, being in the coaching ranks. Never necessarily a bad thing to have those uh, legacy names so long as they earn their spots. All right, so let's talk about this awkward situation with the Raiders here. The Raiders were set to hire Cliff Kingsbury. It seemed like there was an agreement in place. It all just came down to haggling over pricing and whatnot. Reportedly, I believe this was according to Schefter or, you know, whisperings through the internet, the 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 standard for uh coordinator positions is especially maybe just offensive coordinator positions is a three-year contract worth however however much the, the going rate is for an offensive coordinator nowadays the raiders apparently offered two and cliff kingsbury was like um i got other options that'll offer me three so uh take a hike and now he pulled his name out of consideration so the the Raiders kind of had to, to scramble. Uh, we'll, we'll see what, well, they were like, okay, I don't know what's going on. And uh, they ended up <clears throat> hiring former Bears offensive coordinator Luke Getze instead. Uh, what an absolute bummer if you're a Raiders fan going from uh, Cliff Kingsbury, who in theory should be a nice creative offense with a lot of uh, creative scheme, uh, to Luke Getze, who uh, could not figure out how to run an offense with Justin Fields and seemingly had an amnesia at the start of every season as to, wait a second, Justin Fields can run? I thought he was just a pocket passer. Um, that's who you're getting an offensive coordinator. So good luck, Raiders. Good luck. Hope your defense uh, is is fast and physical, especially with the quarterback situation right now because, whoo, who boy, Tom Telesco and the boys have got uh, their, their work cut out for them over there. But uh, with that in mind, Cliff Kingsbury pulls his name out of the, the Raiders search, um, goes right over there to Washington, uh, and he will quickly, he quickly interview with the commies. He will now be Dan Quinn's offensive coordinator on the new staff. Can't blame him for wanting the opportunity to work with a rookie second overall pick at QB, presumably could trade up to one. There's obviously the connection there uh, with, you know, being Caleb Williams quarterback coach this last year at USC. A little bit of familiarity there. Maybe they could trade up. We'll see. Um, I, I understand having that opportunity to mold a young quarterback as opposed to whatever the hell the Raiders are going to be dealing with this, this upcoming year because I don't see them trading up to uh, to number one or anything like that drastic uh, to get ahead of the, of the Washington Commies. So, again, We'll see. It's not a good team, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see what ends up happening there. Um, probably offered them a little bit more satisfactory terms. So, so far, so good for that uh, that commies staff. Also hired Joe Witt Jr. as the uh, defensive coordinator, I believe, uh, defensive backs coach uh, for the Cowboys. So, we'll see. Again, I don't know if Dan, Dan Quinn is calling the plays on the defensive side or not. So, uh, I, maybe it'll just be a game plan higher, but I, 
truthfully don't know much about Joe Witt Jr. anyway, so we'll see. We'll see on all that. Um, the Saints are hiring uh, podcast favorite Clint Kubiak as their new offensive coordinator. Look, guys, um, maybe he learned some stuff over there working with Shanahan the last year. He's the passing game coordinator, so uh, kind of in that, you know, Offensive coordinator mold, if you will, for the uh, for for the San Francisco 49ers. Maybe he learned some more stuff from Shanahan. All I know was that in 2021, as the Vikings offensive coordinator, he had a middle of the pack offense, uh, which was kind of in the lower middle of the pack. And then the very next year, Kevin O'Connell stepped in with the same exact players and had a top ten, borderline top five offense immediately. Uh, there was a distinct lack of creativity in that Clint Kubiak offense. And hey, again, I reserve uh, the possibility that maybe he has learned some things, increased the creativity. I just know when he was with the uh, the Vikings, it was marked by a distinct lack of creativity. And I think to this point, he has skated by largely on the strength of his last name and his father's accomplishments. Again, could he improve? For sure. I'm just saying I'm going to need to see it. Um, this, this, Like I said, this hire is going to make or break Dennis Allen as a, as a head coach. So we'll see. I happen to think it's not going to go well, and Dennis Allen's going to be looking for a job this time next year. But we'll see. At least it's a young guy, and it's not Pete Carmichael anymore. So it's a step in the right direction, I suppose. We'll see if Dennis Allen will be allowed to take even more steps in that direction after this. Uh, another college guy is jumping back into the NFL. This one's kind of not a surprise because he's been bouncing back and forth now for a few years now between the Rams and Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky offensive coordinator and former Rams assistant Liam Cohen will be the new Bucks offensive coordinator. Um, I'm going to be honest, hope for all the success in the world for him, but um, was never super impressed with the offenses he had at Kentucky. College guys jumping to the NFL. Has been a theme uh, this year, though, and it's directly correlated. We've heard about little rumblings of Chip Kelly uh, interviewing twice with the Raiders in the mix for the job with the commies. Didn't end up getting either of those jobs, but you're seeing guys across college football uh, saying, I mean, I, to hell with this. I got to recruit my own players. I got to do more marketing, salesmanship, fundraising than I do actually coaching guys on the field. This isn't what I got into this for. It's wholly unsustainable. I hate where the sport is right now. So I'm going to go over the NFL, live a little bit more cushy lifestyle compared to the hectic, chaotic thing that whatever the college football landscape has become right now. And whenever they get their shit together, I'll just, you know, make my foray back into the game with maybe an upgraded position if I end up doing well at the NFL level. So yeah, that's just how this thing is going to go. And you're going to see more names like that until they get this sort of uh, situated as far as structure is concerned going forward, uh, until the upheaval stops happening with the NCAA, until we get this thing figured out, you're going to see more and more coaches uh, like like this, uh, like Liam Cohen, like, uh, like Jeff Halfley, making the jump over to the NFL side of things to uh, uh, try their hand at that for a little bit better lifestyle. So... Uh, a theme to monitor here going forward uh, as we go into the next football season for both NFL and college. Excuse me. Uh, Miami is hiring Ravens defensive line coach and assistant head coach Anthony Weaver as their new defensive coordinator. 
That marks the third Ravens defensive coach to leave this offseason. Talked about Zach, Zach Orr being the new uh, defensive coordinator. A lot of upheaval on that side of the ball. So uh, it's going to uh, behoove Zach Orr and Jim Harbaugh to fill out that staff and uh, hit accordingly on all of them. they got a talented, talented unit. Uh, it's going to be tough keeping them together with all the cap implications of Lamar's new contract and all that stuff. Patrick Queen is going to be a, uh, a free agent this year, but... They got the players up and down the field, and they got a really good front office to continue adding talent. So uh, they got a, a lot of holes to fill in the staff. But again, Harbaugh has historically been money on these defensive hires. So I have all the faith in the world that he'll be able to do that. Um, a, an NFL guy jumping to the college ranks, interestingly enough, Steve Belichick. Looks like he's headed to Washington, the university, not the commies, to be the new defensive coordinator on Jed Fish's staff. Uh, the two worked together when Fish was on the Patriots staff in 2020 before he took the Arizona job. Uh, this is a damn good pickup in my mind. I, the defense was not the problem for the Patriots over the last several years with Bill Belichick. And keep in mind, Bill Belichick was not the one calling the plays. Steve Belichick was the one calling the plays on the defensive side of the ball, and they were a consistent, like, top five, top ten unit every single year that Steve Belichick was calling these plays. I think he's a chip off the old block defensive mind-wise uh, when it comes to how he calls a defense. I think it's a really good hire uh, for Washington, especially with a unit that going to be basically turning over the entire unit. I believe like 20 of 22 starters for the Washington Huskies uh, national championship berth <clears throat> are going to be gone this upcoming year. So having a guy like Steve Belichick that can make a house out of a box of nails, as I like to say, uh, is a really good hire. Jed Fish, uh, Kind of an NFL style of guy, really good program builder. I think he made a really good hire here with Steve Belichick. Um, also, already talked about uh, Dan Quinn bringing in Joe Witt Jr. as the defensive coordinator on his Washington staff. Um, damn, we really burned through this thing. I just, I probably should have taken a little bit more time on these uh, these headlines, shouldn't I? Hmm. Either way, a bunch of headlines, so it's it's cool. I'm just going to burn through them here. We're on the last one here, and I'm going to end off with this because it is an objectively funny story. Uh, so, a Jags employee, this this happened a couple weeks ago. I just didn't you know end up covering it because it kind of slipped my mind. Uh, a Jags employee apparently embezzled $20 million out of the organization. Um, what is this? First team. Oh. NFL's playing in Sao Paulo, and the Eagles are going to be there. Cool. Awesome. Good. Brazil. Portuguese. Stuff. That's my uh, that's my analysis of the situation there. Anyways, back to the story at hand. A Jags employee apparently embezzled $20 million out of the organization, which is funny in and of itself because it's the Jacksonville Jaguars, and it's the most shambolic Jag story of all time. What makes it even funnier is, is that uh, not only did he embezzle that $20 million, he lost it all betting on FanDuel. So the Jags thought, well, our partners at FanDuel have our back. They decide to send a, you know an entourage, their envoy, to say, hey guys, uh, go to FanDuel, hat in hand, and they ask for their $20 million back. And I just want to know what the conversation sounded like. Was it a phone call? Was it a face-to-face -face meeting? What what kind of bullshit that the envoy from the Jags had to have to just kind of you know lay out there in order to make this case that hey, FanDuel didn't steal the money, 
but they accepted the stolen money from this this uh, disgruntled employee that embezzled twenty million dollars from the organization. Um, what, what what was the conversation right there? Were, were they just like, hey? Hey guys, you know, we're close. We've been partners for quite some time. You know, we've enjoyed your company. I, I hope you enjoy our company at this point. We've done good business together, right? So, I don't know. We had this one bad apple. You know, every organization's got bad apples. I'm sure you've had bad apples at some point as well. You get, you understand what I'm talking about. Maybe someone that, you know, takes a little, little here and there on the way out the door. You got to deal with them accordingly. Well, we had a bad apple do that. And, uh, they went onto your platform to, uh, you know, and make a couple bets. They weren't very good bets. And, uh, next thing you know, they lost our $20 million. Could you maybe, I mean, since we're just, we're such good business partners here, you know, says a show of good faith, could you possibly maybe give us our $20 million back? Hey, could be good. Hey, could be fun. Um, yeah, needless to say, Fando ain't doing that. <laughs> they, they're not in the business of giving back money that was uh, legally bet, even if the money that was used to bet it was not le- real obtained in legal uh, ways. They were legal bets, and uh, the guy lost them fair and square. So I don't see FanDuel returning one cent of the $20 million that the Jacksonville Jaguars lost. They're going to have to recoup that, recoup that from the former employee uh, if they can is the uh, is the main thing. I think, you know, probably a, a lawsuit's going to happen here or there. But uh, with that said, that's all we got for headlines. Keep in mind, folks, we got one pick of the Super Bowl, and that one pick is Isaiah Pacheco, over 67.5 rushing yards, my largest bet of the year. I placed a cool five units on that one. I feel really good on that. Boy, am I going to be just, just on the edge of my seat watching this game at the end of this week, uh, rooting for that bet to hit. Outside of that, though, uh, we're finished. We're done. Uh, Enjoy the football, everybody. That being said, though, this has been Unqualified Analysis. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed, subscribe wherever you're listening to it, be it Apple, Spotify, uh, YouTube, uh, Amazon Prime, wherever. Just hit subscribe, share with a friend to help me grow this thing a little bit. If you want to follow me on social media, just follow me on X, Twitter, whatever the hell that stupid app is called. Um, at Caleb Verzak. Uh, link will be in the description so you don't have to spell my fucked up Eastern Block name. Also, you can email unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. That is in the description as well. So, with that, uh, thank you so much for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. As always, I've got no clue what I'm talking about. One thing I learned this week, though, Italians consume roughly three times the amount of pasta uh, per capita than American Americans do. So, there you go. Italians, who would have thought? They eat a lot of pasta. All right. So, y'all, uh, y'all have yourselves a good day. Uh, have yourselves a good week. Enjoy the football, and I'll talk to y'all uh, next Tuesday. See you later.